This is Talk the Talk with Cameron Billis and Darren Weiss. Here's what's to expect on this week's podcast. This is identical to taking a knee during the national anthem. If you're Kevin Durant, I say don't cut off your nose to spite your face. This isn't a fight. This is a show. This is something purely for ratings. Without further ado, we'd like to welcome Randy Couture to the show. I was like, holy shit, what did I get myself into? You knew somebody was getting knocked on their butt. Those guys just laid it on the line. There was no piggy-patting around. There was no eking out 12-round decisions. Those guys just scrapped. They, They fought in a little bit different way. You know, I think if we matched up their egos, it'd probably be a better matchup. So many of those things look so easy. You're watching them and you think, I could do that. And then you get out there and you try some of that. And you're like, oh my gosh. Hello, everybody, once again, and welcome to Talk the Talk. Cameron Billis, joined by my co-host, Darren Weiss. And we've got a another really exciting episode for you. It's all about boxing. It's all about fighting. A little bit of football to start off with and kind of sports politics as seems fitting with what's going on in our country now. But we've got a really special guest and we are going to be talking the very highly anticipated Mayweather Conor McGregor fight. So we're really excited for that. And you'll find out who our special guest is in just a little bit. But Darren, there's there's a topic that, you know, is really kind of stood out to me over the course of the past week or so and with what's going on in Charlottesville, Virginia. This just seems like a really pressing subject. It was announced that Kevin Durant is not going to be making a visit to the White House when the Warriors make their trip there as the champions of the NBA. And I know when the Warriors won, that seemed to be a really big issue for them. A lot of players came out and said, that they weren't going at the time it really has yet to be seen who's officially going who's not going but this is identical to taking a knee during the national anthem you as a professional athlete and especially as someone of Kevin Durant's stature and if Steph Curry and Draymond Green and all these big names follow suit you have a a duty to take I don't want to say take a stand because that's not the right phrase here but to be to set an example there we go to set an example to the people who idolize you kids across the country to people who are growing up and trying to learn what's right and what's wrong and if you are someone on the side of what Colin Kaepernick is doing and what some of these other NFL players are starting to do and taking a knee during the national anthem and you think that that's wrong then you should also think that not going to the White House and even ad- addressing your president would you know to just turn it back and and not acknowledge him at all that doesn't show good qualities of of to the youth of what should be done I don't think it sets a precedent Cameron because as you were saying Kevin Durant's a polarizing figure a worldwide sports icon a lot of people from all around the world look up to him look up to his actions and you know, here on Talk to Talk, you know, we talk mostly sports. We'll dive into some other issues as we're doing right now. And, you know, talking politics, I think it's like a lose-lose situation. You're always, you know, some people are always going to agree. Some are always going to disagree. So it's not so much that I want to dive into the politics that it is, you know, 
don't if you're Kevin Durant, I say don't cut off your nose to spite your face. And what I mean by that is, you know, everyone is talking about in today's day and age, the world has so many issues and so many things going on worldwide. You look at, you know, people saying, you know, this is a time that everyone needs to come together, not be separated by more hate, by more anger. And what Kevin Durant is doing and taking a stand and not going to the White House, I think that's just only going to cause more problems. It's going to hurt more than it's going to help his his case. And, you know, I think you got to set a precedent in the fact that if you're Kevin Durant, you got to go to the White House. You got to be respectful. You don't have to, you know, agree or disagree with the president's views, you know, and I'm not here to get into that. But it is a tradition that of the four main sports that, you know, teams that win the championship, they go to the White House to visit. I'm sure there's been players in the past who have gone to the White House that did not like the president, but they still went because it's the right thing to do. You put on the right face for your organization, for your team, for your teammates. And I just, I, I, I can't support what Kevin Durant's doing. And it's not a fact if, you know, do I like the president? Do I not like the president? It's just, there's so many people looking up to you. And, you know, I think a small act like this, you know, you can, you can, you can come out and say, I don't agree with what's going on in the world, but to go to the White House and see someone who you don't necessarily support, you know, but still go there, that, that sets a huge precedent. And I think that would set a good example around, around the country, around the world. What do you think? I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. You know, it's what, what, what did we learn as kids, you know, to deal with your problems, not to ignore them, but to deal with them in a civilized way. I'm not saying Kevin Durant or any of these players have to go there and have a heated conversation with Donald Trump about what he's doing, but them just showing up sets a great example of just being the bigger person. You know, you can you don't have to support Trump to show up and, and be a part of your team. And I keep comparing this to Colin Kaepernick because I think it is really similar People are upset at Kaepernick because he's doing something that's unpatriotic. Well, what's more patriotic than going to the White House to visit your country's president? You know, Colin Kaepernick doesn't doesn't stand for the anthem because he doesn't agree with how things are currently being done in this country. And he has basically, when we talked about this in our last podcast, he's basically been banned from the NFL. And no one would not take Kevin Durant on their team just because he refuses to go to the White House. But in my eyes, it is it is basically the same exact thing. Absolutely. And let's not sit here and dwell on this issue, but Kevin Durant needs to, you know, he's from Washington, D.C., to go back and, like I said, be the bigger person. Go back and show your face. I think that would really help things more than it would hurt things. And, you know, for the people that are listening to our podcast, tell us what you think. Tweet us. Do you support what Durant's doing? Do you think it's right? Do you think it's just? Do you think it's unjust? I mean, is him t- is this him taking a stand in a positive or negative way? What do you guys think? We'd love to hear your opinion. Yeah, and if you want to reach out, uh, you can reach out at Twitter at Talk to Talk, and you know, we like Darren said, we want to we want to chat with you. That's what our Twitter's for. Not only for us to kind of give you information about what's to come on our podcast, but to interact with you guys and. Just have some fun talking sports. So let's transition from that. Like we said, this episode is primarily about the big fight coming up between Conor McGregor and Floyd Money Mayweather. And Darren, I know you feel really passionate about this fight, but I'll kind of get us started here. 
I've never been a big boxing guy. I've watched a couple matches throughout my life. The last match I watched was Mayweather-Pacquiao, and I was incredibly, incredibly, incredibly disappointed. It was a lackluster fight that didn't really want me wanting more. I think it left a lot of people feeling that same way, Cameron. And to me, this seems... It's a money grab is what it is. Yeah, I'm sure. And it's, it's at a time where... You know, you and I have taken sports history classes and we've learned about some of the biggest fights in history. And, you know, you hear terms like rope-a-dope and all these big terms and you just, you don't get that anymore with boxing. And this is more of a publicity stunt. This isn't a fight. This is a show. This is something purely for ratings that these two, these two showmans aren't going out there to fight. I think they're just going to milk it, give it a couple rounds just to get more ratings and Floyd Floyd's going to win this easily. Okay, so let me uh get started here on this whole cross sport showdown. I've been watching Floyd Mayweather a long time and say what you want about him off out of the ring, you know, it, you know, he doesn't pay his taxes, you know, he's been in trouble for putting his hands on women and all that. We're strictly here to talk about what he does inside the ring. And what he does inside the ring, there's no one better at what he does than him. Now, people are saying, well, he's not a real fighter. He's defensive. Well, that's a, that's a tactic to fight. Mayweather is not a knockout guy. Somebody like Conor McGregor is a knockout guy. So here's the thing. Mayweather has never lost. There is no blueprint on how to beat him. He's a defensive fighter. He adjusts better in fights than anybody else. He wears his opponent down, and it usually goes the distance. He, he, out, he out hits his opponents 3-1, to one and... He gets this, you know, he gets the decision. Here's the thing. Both these sports, you know, MMA, UFC, and boxing, they're both, they both need money. The pay-per-view events have been down, and this is going to be a big-time score for, for both events. Now, can McGregor beat Mayweather? I don't think so. I think there's a 1 in maybe 20 chance that McGregor beats Mayweather, and the only way that's going to happen is if McGregor lands a couple huge lefts you know he's a southpaw Mayweather you know just had I don't want to say he has a problem with soft southpaws but he just growing up you don't see southpaws as much and if you've listened to our other podcast David DeJesus our first guest he said you know he was a lefty you don't see lefties much growing up so here's the thing with Mayweather McGregor if he wants a chance he's got to knock him out in the first two or three rounds which he, ba- which he recently said in the news is he's going to knock him out in the first four rounds. McGregor needs to knock him out in the first two or three rounds because if he doesn't knock him out in the first two or three rounds, Mayweather is going to adjust to McGregor's game and it's going to be over from there. Now, the state of Nevada Boxing Committee, they're okay for the first time for these fighters to use 8-ounce gloves instead of 10-ounce gloves. 8-ounce gloves are closer to what McGregor's used to and everyone's like, oh, that's an advantage for McGregor. Well... That's going to help Mayweather too because Mayweather still, I know he's old, he's still got the fastest hands. He's still very quick. And it's never been a problem. He's, like I said, he's not a knockout fighter. He doesn't have that knockout punch, Cameron. So I think Mayweather's just going to wear him down by getting in. You know, he plays with the jab a lot. He goes a lot of combinations, 1 1 2, and he's going to take his time. He's very strategic and he's going to wear him down. Now, McGregor is longer, he's taller, he's got a longer reach, and that can help. But the thing is, if McGregor does not knock him out in the first two or three rounds, it's not going to be close. Mayweather's going to uh, out-hit him 
three to one, and he's gonna take. It's gonna go the distance, and they're gonna give it to Mayweather. I mean, that that's great insight, and you know, I know, like you said, you've been following boxing for a long time. Part of the problem, and and you mentioned that Mayweather isn't a knockout guy. I think that is a problem. People like seeing the knockout. That is what you know. As someone like myself who never been that enticed by boxing if i'm gonna watch it i want to see that knockout i don't want to see it go the distance oh who doesn't absolutely you want to see a big tyson hook that knocks out you know buster douglas or you want to see an ali sunny liston bout that's just an absolute war but with these with these middleweights that are a hundred and i think they're fighting at i think mayweather's going up one weight class to fight at 154 you just they don't have the power to knock the knock to really knock each other out. I mean, Mayweather hasn't knocked out somebody since Ortiz. I think that was in 2012. You know, he's gone five or six fights without knocking someone out. You don't see it as much with the lower weight classes because there's not as much power behind these punches. It's more strategic dancing around and get the points, you know. Let's hit them and get the points and get out of there. This fight will go the distance. I think the only chance McGregor has, as I said, is to knock him out, catch him with a left, two or three lefts. It's going to take more than one because – Mayweather has been hit. He knows how to take a hit, just like McGregor knows how to take a hit. Mayweather will not knock out McGregor. McGregor could knock out Mayweather, but it would have to happen in the first two or three rounds. Because if it doesn't, Mayweather's going to win. And I think it's going to—I think Mayweather's going to make McGregor look foolish. And I think Mayweather is going to cruise and win every single round. You know, you—how often do you hear the comparison of could Alabama football beat the Cleveland Browns? Could Duke or Kentucky beat the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, I'm not saying MMA is amateur compared to boxing, but when you take one set of rules and you have to adjust to a new set, where as in college to the pros, there are new rules, such as, you know, like football, you have to get two feet in bounds as compared to one foot in bounds for wide receiver and all those other small differences. Mayweather is used to all those professional boxing rules. Whereas McGregor has to adjust and hasn't fought with professional boxing rules. He's used to MMA. This is a, and so, like I said, this is, can a Duke or Kentucky McGregor beat a Philadelphia 76ers Mayweather? These are, this is a fighter in McGregor who's going to box versus a boxer who has been boxing his whole life that is the best in the business, the best to have ever laced him up in his weight class for sure. You cannot compare Ali to you know, Mayweather, Mayweather to Tyson because they're different weight classes. Mayweather is the best fighter in his weight class ever. He has not lost. I don't care what anyone says about him. He has not lost. 49-0, and he will be 50-0 after this fight. So you got a guy in McGregor coming over who has never boxed professionally, and there has been mixed reports that he has been beat up in sparring sessions early. I don't think he is uh, in good enough shape. I don't think his body is used to going 12 rounds. It's you know UFC is five rounds. I don't think he is ready to go 12 rounds. And when you look at a guy coming over to a sport, you you know the first thing that comes to mind is a guy like. Randy Couture, who was a pioneer, a legend in UFC and MMA, and he fought a boxing champion in James Tony, and it was the opposite, where James Tony came over to try to try his hand in MMA, and it wasn't even close. I mean, Randy Couture, it took him three minutes, and it was a submission. That was it. So that's what's going to happen. I think Mayweather cruises. No knockout for Mayweather. I, don't, I think McGregor will land one or two. It will get the crowd off its feet. 
but it'll be fool's gold because Mayweather knows how to adjust better than anyone in a fight, and that's what's going to happen. There it is, Darren Weiss with his take. But for more insight on this fight, Darren mentioned uh, Randy Couture, and he is our special guest. Somebody that has become a friend of mine over the last couple months. He has taught me the techniques in fighting, and he has also helped me outside of the ring, giving me good energy, giving me good advice. They call him the natural. He is a three-time UFC heavyweight champion, two-time UFC lightweight heavyweight champion, and the first of only three fighters to hold two UFC championship titles. Without further ado, we'd like to welcome Randy Couture to the show. Randy, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys? I'm good. Thanks for coming on. You bet. So, Randy, you fought at Oklahoma State University. You were the runner-up in the NCAA um, or I should say you wrestled at Oklahoma State University. You were the runner-up to <laughs> <laughs> big difference there. Um, so how did you transition from wrestling to get into mixed martial arts and more specifically uh, UFC? Um, well, I, I literally entered the UFC uh, or mixed martial arts on a whim. I saw a video uh after college, I was coaching at Oregon State. I was the assistant wrestling coach there for about seven years. And uh, one of my athletes put this VHS tape in, and it happened to be of a of a mixed martial arts competition, an old UFC. I think it was UFC nine. And uh, one of the guys fighting on that card was was a guy I went to college with, Don Fry. And so I was like, "Holy cow! I know this guy. I went to school with him." And uh, so I was immediately intrigued by the sport. Uh, it was a little different back then. You, kind of filled out an application and sent it in with some tape of you competing or doing whatever it was you did and uh, that's how you got in back then. There was no amateur ranks, there was no other real mixed martial arts shows around. It was a very fringe kind of small sport back then. You know, the pay-per-views were doing well at that time. They were making a big splash because it was looked at as a very extreme sport. And uh, I was lucky enough to to be put on an alternate list. They, they were kind of looking for more exotic martial artists. So I didn't think too much about it. This was in, in uh, August of 1996, and just kind of went went on about my business. I was wrestling for the national team and coaching as the assistant coach at Oregon State. And about six months later, the following spring of 1997, I got a phone call saying, hey, we're looking for somebody to fill a spot in this tournament. Uh, I don't know if you're still interested in fighting, but you're on our alternate list. And I'm, the fight's in three weeks, are you still interested? And I'm like, hell yeah, I'm interested. Let's go. So signed up for that fight. I was a uh, UFC 13. That was my very first show. I fought twice. It was still tournament format back then. Uh, so I fought twice that night in the heavyweight tournament. And uh, I had no idea who I was competing against. I'd never seen him. I didn't have any footage video anything so the first time I saw these guys was stepping on the scale at the, at the, in the Holiday Inn in the lobby in Augusta, Georgia and uh, they were both huge guys I was like holy shit what did I get myself into uh, the first guy was about 300 pounds he's a great big Finnish boxer and pro wrestler and the second guy was a former football player from, from uh, North Carolina um, 
he did something they called extension fighting. Nobody really knows what that is. I didn't know what that was, but uh, that's what he called his style. Uh, and obviously, I was a predominantly just a wrestler. I was taking my wrestling skills and, and going to try my hand at mixed martial arts. So that's kind of how it started. That's how I, uh, I got rolling. Obviously, that that night went pretty well for me. I ended up winning both those fights and winning the heavyweight tournament, which brought me back uh, for later shows. That's incredible. And, you know, being a pioneer in MMA and UFC, you know, the game's really changed over the years. And for our listeners at home that may not know, Randy is one of the nicest, kindest guys that I've met. So my question to you is, Randy, when you get into the ring, you must just have a switch in your head that goes on where you're just in full fight mode. I mean, what goes through your mind? Because outside the ring, I, I swear to God, you can't hurt a fly. But once, you, once you're in that ring, it's a, you're a totally different animal. Well, I'm I'm a competitive person. Uh, I've been wrestling since I was ten years old. Uh, I think you know, in, in wrestling and in individual combative sports, I, I kind of found my place. I, I found the thing that that seems to suit me. Uh, and so, I always use the analogy that it's it's kinetic chess. I know the rules of engagement, uh, and I'm physically out there competing against uh, another guy. He poses certain problems, i got to figure out how to solve those problems and put myself in the best position to win win that engagement. Um, most people kind of try to equate their mindset when they're in a fight or what that would be like, and they assume that there's a bunch of animosity and anger and all these other things that kind of go along with those types of altercations on the street. And in this circumstance, that's the last place you want to be in your in your head. Uh, you want to be very calculated. You want to, you know, step into that place where you've trained and done tons and tons of repetitions for the situations you're going to find yourself in in a fight. Uh, if you're if you're being emotional, if you're angry or, or in that mindset, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to be reckless, and you're probably not going to be very successful. We're joined by Randy Couture here on Talk to Talk. Now, Randy, obviously, no training and preparation for each fight can be the same. But you fought a long time. Can you take us through the process of, you know, how much training is involved, what the process is like, and then afterwards, once you're done with the fight, what is the recovery process like? Well, training process, um, generally you get sometimes two months, but usually three or four months notice. They ask you, you know, hey, we want to match you up with this guy on this card. Here's the dates. Uh, here's the weight. Um and then they send you a bout agreement with all the terms for that engagement, uh, you know, night, weight class, what your pay will be, all, all that stuff. And, uh, and you sign that and agree to the fight. Then you go go to work. You, you pull up as much video as you can on that opponent. Uh, you sit down with your team. You know, I usually had a, a striking coach and a grappling coach and a strength and conditioning coach. And those, those guys were part of my team. And then you had various uh, training partners, teammates and training partners that kind of helped you uh, prepare. You came up with a plan. You look at that guy from his oldest competition to his newest, whatever you could pull up on him and kind of see how he's progressed. Analyze, you know, where his strengths seem to be and where his potential weaknesses are, where he doesn't seem to like to be. And, and then you got to kind of be rational and figure out 
how your style of fighting and how fits into that engagement. And then you go about sharpening those particular tools to put you in the best position to win the fight and to be able to deal with the opponent's areas of strength. Um, things that he's particularly good at, you need to have answers for it and be able to survive those situations to, to get through the fight. The 10 week training process seemed to be the, the optimum time for me. I tried 12 weeks, it was a little too long. Uh, I've done eight week camps and six week camps. Generally, they were, they were too short unless I was just turning around right from one fight to the next. Um, 10 weeks seemed to be the optimum for me. Uh, you study those tapes, you come up with the training plan, you write out a calendar. You know, this day's my strength and conditioning day, this day's my hard scarring day, this day's my, you know, my situation and technique day. Kind of write out your practices all the way through to uh, that week of the fight. And the week of the fight, you're generally, you're, you're tapering. You know, you know, most of the hard work's done, you use that last six or seven days to rest, recover, make sure your weight's you know, in the right place so you can make weight the day before the fight and, uh, and get your legs back under you, let your body recover. You almost start to feel guilty that week, you're like, oh man, and you, you, you don't want to rest, you want to keep working, <laughs> you want to keep going, so you gotta, you gotta, you know, have faith in your camp, faith in the work that you've done and be able to just pull back and, and bide your time and walk in there on fight night ready to rock and roll, so... It's a long process, and then obviously the recovery after fights depends on the fight. I've had fights where, you know, I felt like I could go again that night. It was never an issue, and I've had other fights where, shit, I didn't walk right for for six weeks after a fight. You know, I got kicked in the leg and broke my nose, and, you know, I mean, it just depended on the fight. Absolutely, and that's some great insight, and I think some uh, more insight that the listeners here on Talk the Talk want to know. You know, we have this cross-sport showdown, Mayweather and McGregor, and McGregor's, you know, going to box. He's going to change sports to box. And before we dive into that, you had something sort of similar to that in UFC 118 when boxing champion James Tony got in the ring with you, and he didn't last a minute, or he didn't last one round. So can you talk a little bit about that and, you know, how that fight, if that was any different, and, you know, what your thoughts are on McGregor and Mayweather. Well, McGregor's not the first guy to foray from mixed martial arts into boxing. There's There's been several athletes that have, that have jumped back and forth. Vitor uh, Belfort, Nick, you know, Nick, Nick and Nate Diaz, Mark Hunt. There's been, uh, you know, Holly Holm, came, you know, was a multi-time boxing champion and probably one of the best female boxers uh, that the sport has seen and flow right into mixed martial arts and had some great success obviously beat Ronda Rousey and uh, who, who nobody thought was, was uh, beatable uh, at that time uh, James Tony a few years back back in 2008 uh, decided he wanted to jump over to mixed martial arts and he was certainly a, a, a very good boxer a world champion a couple of times and I ended up getting a call on uh, and being the guy to, to match up and, and fight him. Obviously, still uh, doing fairly well in my career and, and, and winning fights at a high level. <clears throat> and uh, you know, the real question was, uh, 
how much mixed martial arts training and, and skills was James going to be able to learn in the four months getting ready for that mixed martial arts engagement. Uh, it was apparent pretty quickly that he, he really hadn't uh, hadn't learned much in the, in the realm of mixed martial arts. As soon as he hit the ground, he was kind of like a fish out of water, and, and he was out, out of his element. But I wasn't silly enough to stand around in front of a guy that was that good a boxer and trade blows with him and see how, how good he was. It was a mixed martial arts engagement, so I was going to put him in mixed martial arts positions and, and make him work from there. This is the opposite of that. Conor McGregor is stepping in to a pure boxing match with arguably one of the best defensive boxers that we've seen in 20 years, who's 49-0. and 0. Uh, And you know, Conor McGregor is literally... Oh and oh, he has never had a professional boxing match. He's a decent striker in mixed martial arts. He, he throw, his strengths are—he's long. He throws good spinning back fists and back kicks. He's a good, pretty good kicker uh, and a decent striker. He seems to have some pretty good leverage and power. He's had a couple of uh, knockouts with four-ounce MMA gloves, but he's certainly not a pure boxer. Um, I think things—and this is something I've heard from boxers all along when I started fighting in 97 is, oh, you guys are terrible strikers that knock you out and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you don't understand how much striking changes when somebody can kick you, elbow you, clinch and dirty box or or take you down. Your stance changes, your combinations change, everything that's available to you that you have to watch out for changes in the striking realm. It's not pure boxing. And I'm a big fan of boxing. Always have been. I grew up in the Muhammad Ali era, you know, watching Hearns and Hagler, Duran and, and Foreman and Frazier. And, I mean, just all of that stuff I watched as a kid. I was, I was a big fan of the sport. It was the one sport my mom told me I could never do. Huh. <laughs> now, now she says, I should have just let you do it back then. You'd have got it out of your system. But, uh, That's funny. I, I think, I think Conor McGregor's, he, he's, in over his head. I think he's going to fare okay. I think he's got maybe a one in ten chance of catching Floyd Mayweather and, and winning this fight. I think he, he's going to be overmatched and, and outclassed in a pure boxing match. And if this were a mixed martial arts competition, I would say the exact opposite. I would say Floyd Mayweather has a one in ten chance of catching McGregor in something. Uh, before McGregor kicks him or, or puts him on the ground and takes him out of that boxing realm. So, um, you, know, you can say what you want. Oh, I'm Floyd saying, oh, I'm, you know, I'm not the same guy. I'm older. I'm 40. I'm, I mean, you can try to sell that, but I'm not buying it. Floyd's a very smart guy. There's a reason why he's 49 and 0. He's a, he's a very, very good boxer. And McGregor, you know, he has some things going for him. He's he's long. He, he's big, much bigger than than Mayweather. He is younger. He's, he's 29 years old, and he's unorthodox. He's a southpaw, and and he's not going to throw things like Floyd is used to seeing. You know, some I don't know if you sometimes when you grapple or, or or spar with a guy who's who's unorthodox, he, he doesn't have a lot of skills and and isn't very refined, they can be hard to deal with because they don't act or, or respond in normal ways to things. So I think those are things that, that McGregor has 
on his side, but at the end of the day, I still think he's he's up against it. He's he's dealing with a guy who's a very very slick, very quick, great boxer, and uh, this is a pure boxing competition. Randy, take us through the mindset. I mean, for you and Mayweather, it seems like when you are challenging a guy who isn't as familiar with your sport as you are, you have so much to lose in your reputation. I guess maybe money is the main motivating factor here. I don't know if that's what it was for you, but maybe other than that, what really is there to gain in fights like these, crossover fights? Well, I can't speak for Floyd, you know, and obviously Floyd's nickname is Money, and his, he, you know, he's a tendency to create this persona that flaunts that and, and throws that around, and, uh, you know, people talk about his gambling debts and all this sort of stuff. I, I, I can't really account for that. I, I don't know what motivates Floyd, if it's just money or not. Uh, it seems to me, at least from my perspective, he at one point had to have a pretty strong passion for the sport of boxing. And, and in order to make the sacrifices and do the things he needed to do to be successful, to be as successful as he's been. And that's certainly where, where I uh, came from, the place I operate from. If you're doing this for a paycheck, uh, you're probably in the wrong business. This is a very tough physical business. Uh, it takes a toll on you both mentally and physically, there are a lot easier ways to make a paycheck huh. than grinding out grinding out training camps and stepping in a cage and getting punched in the face. Um, so I think at the, at, the, at the root of it, you, you better have a genuine passion for your sport. You know, and, and I'd say that across the board about anything you're going to do. If it's football, it doesn't matter what it is, you, you know the inherent risks in any physical, in, you know, look at NASCAR drivers. I mean, they, they know making those left turns at over 200 miles an hour can be a pretty dangerous thing, but they love their sport. I know getting punched in the head can, can be, you know, potentially dangerous, as well as running around in football pads and, and you know, crashing into people. Uh, but those guys all love their sport. That's what, you know, they're willing to put it on the line. They're willing to do the training, do the work, train their bodies and their minds to, to endure those things for something that they have passion for. You're expecting Mayweather to handle McGregor relatively easily, but we look at the Mayweather and Pacquiao fight, and I think the world could announce that that was pretty underwhelming. Do you think, you know, Darren and I were in sports journalism classes and sports history, and we learned about some of the major fights between Ali and Frazier and guys like that. Do you think we are at a point where... Is this a type of fight that could be in the history books that kids 20 years from now will learn about? Are we close to another fight like that? Well, I, I think this fight boils down to, to Floyd. I think boxing has the most to lose in this engagement. I mean, anybody who's educated in the fight game and knows what they're looking at doesn't have a lot of expectation on McGregor. And I think it puts the the pressure and, and the onus on Floyd to, to bring it. And yeah, the, the Pacquiao fight was was a bit of a snoozer. Uh, Mayweather's made reference to that in this fight. He feels like he owes the fans. And and again, uh, this is all kind of part of that rhetoric that's 
that they're using to hype this fight between McGregor and Mayweather. Um, I think boxing was different when you know, Sugar Ray Leonard and, and Duran or, or Frazier and Ali got in got in those rings. You knew somebody was getting knocked on their butt. Those guys just laid it on the line. There was no piggy patting around. There was no eking out twelve round decisions. Those guys just scrapped. They they fought in a little bit different way. And, and I think that's been one of the problems with boxing in in recent decades, in recent years, is we've had these kind of disparaging decisions guys just doing enough to win rounds and win fights and not really kind of going out and taking risks and putting it on the line and I think that's why the you know that era of Hagler Hearns all those guys was kind of the heyday for boxing because of the way those guys fought and you still see those videos pop up now and then uh, and those fights were just amazingly exciting and, and we just don't see that many athletes in this day and age that put it on the line like that. And I think that's unfortunate. Uh, I think it's become so contingent on winning, especially in boxing. You see that less in MMA. You know, you're allowed to lose fights. There's so many ways to win or lose a fight at a mixed martial arts competition. But there's very few guys out there that don't have a loss or two on their record. I mean, hell, my record was 19 and 11. So... There's just too many ways to win or lose, and it was more about the way you competed rather than whether you won or lost. Well, in boxing, if you, you lose one match and you know you drop and out of the rankings and you know out of out of the, the bigger money shows, and the fighters know that they recognize that, so they're going to do whatever they have to do to win, and rather than take a risk and and put it on the line. Uh, they stay a little closed off and, and within the box, if you, if you know what I mean. But this is a big fight for sure. It's going to go in the record books because they just hyped the crap out of it. The, the, the media tour and these two guys are the best at, at creating heat. You know, I think if we matched up their egos, it'd probably be a better matchup. But, uh, huh, totally. I, uh, I think that uh, it's an important fight, but a lot more important boxing than it is for mixed martial arts. I don't think mixed martial arts is going anywhere. There's a ton of great fighters out there. There's a ton of great promoters and a ton of great shows. Uh, I mean, you can see a good mixed martial arts competition just about every single week somewhere. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, I think, more important for boxing, for Mayweather to go out, really have a, a dramatic finish and, and put it on Conor McGregor. We are joined by pioneer and MMA legend Randy Couture here on Talk to Talk. Randy, how can MMA, in your opinion, be improved? It can be improved. Uh, we're using a flawed system, and I don't think a lot of fans recognize the difference between boxing and MMA, and, and this Conor McGregor Mayweather fight highlights some of that difference. Why is it that Conor McGregor's been the most highly paid mixed martial artist. I mean, I think Ronda Rousey and John Jones have been paid more than he's been paid in mixed martial arts. And that doesn't even come close to what he's going to make off this one boxing match. Uh, and I'll tell you the difference. The difference is 
boxers have been protected by the Muhammad Ali Act, which, which was began its implementation in 1996 and was passed and ratified through, through Congress in, in 2000, uh, which separated the powers in boxing and, and limited uh, promoters' abilities to take advantage of the athletes. Uh, right now in mixed martial arts, the sanctioning body and the promoter is the same guy. The UFC is making their own titles and their own rankings, and they're manipulating those any way they want to to make money. Bellator, PFL, or World Series of Fighting, they're going by PFL, now Professional Fighters League. They're doing the same thing. That's that's across the board in our sport. The promoter is making up his own titles, making his own rankings of the athletes that he signs to exclusive contracts and gives them way too much leverage over the athlete to sign away his ancillary rights. Uh, doesn't give the athletes a free and open market to negotiate their value in the marketplace. That's the difference between boxing and MMA. Conor McGregor and Floyd, Floyd represents himself. He's his own promoter. He's negotiating the showtime and whoever's going to put that fight on for his cut of, of the revenue that's going to come in from that event. As a mixed martial artist, I don't have that luxury. i got to sign that contract that, let me tell you, the worst contract you've ever seen. Huh. Uh, if I want to be ranked and be able to compete for those titles in, in that promotion, that's the difference between boxing and mixed martial arts right now and why Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather are going to make a couple hundred million dollars versus the five million dollars that Conor McGregor was ever paid for one mixed martial arts competition. So we have a disparaging difference in our sport in that way. It's not. It's it's anti-competitive. There's no crossover. You're signed to exclusive contracts with the promoter you decide you want to compete with, and you try to stay in the rankings and, and fight for those titles. Uh, it's it's not an open free market where I can you know, so that guy that's ranked number one in the UFC and this guy that's ranked number one in Bellator can never fight each other because they were forced to sign exclusive contracts with those those promotions. We'll never know who the real best in that weight class is until we get get rid of that and separate the sanctioning body from the promoter and, and create that open market and that transparency in the sport. Randy, I want to transition from inside the ring to your life outside of the ring. You've become an actor, and you've been in some some big-time films. How did you make that transition, and where does your acting career stand now? Well, uh, athletics opened the door uh, for acting for me. Um, my first movie experience was, was a movie about 15 years ago called Cradle to the Grave. Uh, they were looking for authentic cage fighters for a cage fighting scene in that movie. And uh, myself and Tito Ortiz and Chuck Liddell all got called to ask if we'd be interested. And we all three said, yeah, we all three showed up and spent a week on the scene working on these cage fighting scenes. It was maybe five minutes in the whole movie. I had one line in the movie, let's go check and shit. Uh, I must have said that 25 times and that's crazy. But... Uh, to kind of get a chance to see behind the curtain, if you will, and, and see the process, see how the movie's made, um, everything that goes into it. It's a pretty remarkable process. And I was immediately intrigued by the process. It's not something I ever saw myself doing, but I, I thought it was very, very interesting. And I immediately went out and 
started taking some acting classes and, and got an agent and started getting better jobs and working towards uh, Scorpion King 2 came along and was a pretty big success for Universal uh, that summer as part of the, the mummy property and, and uh, that opened some more doors and ended up getting to work with David Mamet on uh, Red Belt who's a highly acclaimed writer and director and again that upped the level a little Obviously, I ended up getting a call from Sylvester Stallone and getting a chance to play Toll Road and The Expendables, and, and uh, that was the number one movie that summer. So, and now we've done you know, two more since then, and looks like we're getting ready to do a fourth one here at the start of next year. So, uh, you know, the progress has been slow but good, and uh, just focused on the process and trying to learn as much as I can about the, the entire industry, uh, and it's been fun. I spent my entire life as an actor on the box that my emotions and push them to the side and just stay focused and go out, you know, and, and do what I trained to do. I don't do this, you know, I'm not letting do those other things get in the way. And now I'm doing the exact opposite. I'm expected to figure out who this character is and let all those emotions out and find a way to It's been a challenge. All right, well, we're joined by Randy Couture here on Talk to Talk. And, Randy, last question before we let you go. You said you never expected to get into acting. I'm sure you never expected to be on Dancing with the Stars. Unfortunately, you didn't make it too far as probably you hoped, but can you take us through that experience or maybe give us a story or two that was behind the scenes that the people would enjoy? Well, I had an amazing experience, and I feel like uh, certainly physically and dance-wise, I was capable of, of going much further into the show, much deeper into the show. You know, Alfonso Ribeiro was the guy that won that season, and let's be honest, he was a pretty amazing performer and a dancer, so. Uh, but, you know, you look at guys like Tommy Chong and, and Michael Watford, they weren't exactly tearing it up on the dance floor, but at the end of the day, it's still a reality show. It's, there's more than just the physicality and, and athleticism of dance going on there. It's about ratings. It's about who's bringing in the audiences and, and, and eyeballs to the show. So uh, I, I made it three weeks in the show. I had an amazingly talented partner, Karina Smirnoff. She choreographed all the all the dances that we did, um, and I just found her to be remarkably talented. Uh, she was fun to work with. We, we were silly in training and and you know trying to get my feet and my upper body to do the things she wanted to do was was a big challenge. We'd spend six or seven hours every single day dancing. And I'm one of those guys, you know, I'm a perfectionist anyway. It comes from my athletic background. I, and I was in shape. I didn't need a break. So I think that surprised her. She, she was used to dealing with people that maybe would get tired or, or needed a break. And I'm like, oh, I don't have this down yet. You can't stop yet. Uh, so it, it was a fun experience. Uh, it's literally, you, you are signing up for a crash course in how to be a professional dancer. Huh. It, is a tall, it is a tall order. And I think my favorite thing was, was on Sundays was uh, camera rehearsal days. So you'd come in to the actual set, uh, and that was the first time on the real dance floor that they were going to film the show that you got to perform that dance that you'd been working on. And that gave the cameraman a chance to see where your dance moved and how it went, give them a chance to figure out how your props were going to fit in, 
and, and all of that in the actual space. So you're, you're there for hours because, I mean, at times there's there's a dozen teens that are going to get ready to perform and do their dances for the first time on that stage. So you spend a lot of time sitting around and, and uh, just sitting around and watching those professional dancers literally goof off. They, they were just on the dance floor, goofing off, killing time. It was the most fun. They were so amazingly graceful and they made so many of those things look so easy. It, you, you're watching them and you think, well, I could do that. And then you, you get out there and you try some of that. And you're like, oh my gosh. Am I, am I mentally challenged? Am I physically challenged? <laughs> There's something wrong with me. Because I can't do that. Randy, Cameron and I wanted to thank you tremendously for coming on the show. You are a busy man. We do not want to hold you up. I know you uh, have some dancing to go uh, to go practice. So thank you again for coming on. You gave us some great insight and we look forward to watching your future endeavors. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you guys very much. I hope you guys have a great day. And that will wrap up this episode of Talk to Talk. Cameron and I would like to once again thank our very special guest and UFC legend Randy Couture for taking the time out of his day to join us in Talking the Talk. Thank you to all our listeners who tune in as well and give us feedback. If there's any topics on your mind that you want us to talk about, tweet at us at Talk the Talk. That's Talk the Talk with two E's and the. If you haven't yet, check us out on SoundCloud and make sure to subscribe to us on the iTunes podcast app on your phone. That's Talk the Talk. Cameron and I have some very special guests in the coming weeks and can't wait to share them with you. Until next time, this is Darren Weiss and Cameron Billis on Talk the Talk.